Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Susan. Hi, I'm Susan Capospo, Rita Hundred Pounder. Hi, Susan. I'm pass around some photos. Thank you for my water, whoever the water person is. Thank you. Um, okay, so first of all, thank you, David, for asking me to speak. Um, I was trying to say yes when I'm asked to speak at a meeting, unless it's physically not possible, like during the day when I have to go to work. Um, so to get numbers out of the way, um, I first came into the rooms in the 80s. I didn't get abstinent until 1999. Um, I've lost over 100 pounds, my top weight was 250, size 26 dress last time I looked, and I've been abstaining, obtaining, maintaining for just over 17 years through the grace of God and the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, truly don't clap for me because my own best thinking got me to the 250 pounds, and it took me a very long time to have that willingness to take action and ask somebody else for help. Um, so that was my story of coming in and out of the rooms, just to give you a little bit of background. Um, I was always a chubby child, never as obese as I got when I lived on my own. Um, but I was always chubby. I was always the girl in ballet whose legs definitely touched all the way down. There was no, you know, freeway lane in the middle. They were right there stuck together. Um, but it actually never didn't play that many head games with me. I went to an all-girls school. I was very social. I always have been. I'm not somebody who hid when she was fat. I did well in school. I was always head girl and prefect. If you know anything about European schooling, that's your voted in for. So I was always very popular. I did well in school. I've always done well in my jobs. So my disease didn't take me to that end of the spectrum. Um, but was I comfortable? Was I happy? Absolutely not. Was I obsessed with food day in and day out? Absolutely. Um, I was a great dieter. I've lost 100 pounds many, many times, but I couldn't stay stopped. And that was because diets, for me as a food addict, don't work because there's a beginning and an end. And as soon as it ends, I don't know what to do with myself. Um, today I have, you know, 12 steps that I, you know, live by the principles of the program, a sponsor, sponsees, and I go to meetings and I stay in the center of the herd as much as I can. And a day at a time, that helps me stay recovered. Um, so I, I never knew anything about 12-step programs, and when I moved here in 1982, I still didn't know about them, and I went with my cousin to a meeting and didn't understand any of it, really didn't like it, it was very, very uncomfortable, um, wasn't used to talking about my feelings or hearing people talking about them, let alone having strangers hug me. Um, so I went on my merry way. I have a lovely life here in America. Obviously, I've stayed a long time. And I do believe today that I was brought here to find these rooms because I don't know that I would have found them in London. They are there, but I don't know that I would have been exposed to them. And it's pretty hard here to not meet somebody who's in a 12-step program, especially in L.A., which is, which is wonderful for all of us. It's certainly been wonderful for me. It's changed my whole life. Um, you know, my best friends are in these rooms. I have other good friends, but nobody knows me the way that people in these rooms know me. You can look at me and know what's wrong with me, which is such a gift, and a lot of people don't have that. 
Um, congratulations to the chip takers. Welcome to the newcomers. Keep coming back. It took me a long time to stay stopped, but now that I am stopped, I hope, today, I hope a day at a time that that will continue. So keep on coming back. Um, so I came to my first meeting. It was either the end of 1982 or the middle of 83. I can't really remember. And I didn't like it, and I went on my merry way. And I've done all the diets that you've done, legal and illegal. Um, I've had my mouth wired shut. I didn't lose a pound because, of course, because I am a good food addict, I found a hole in the back, and I shoved food down it. And you can drink milkshakes and stay fat. It's not hard at all. Um, but don't go and do it. Um, and I also, you know, of course, there was nobody who would do it, so I had it illegally done at some dentist's house, and he brought home equipment from his house and gas. Who knows? You know, but those are the lengths I would go to. I was willing to go to any length to get thin, but I wasn't willing to stop eating. I didn't really know how to. I just knew how to spend money to try and buy it. And here I don't have to buy it. I give money in the basket, which spreads the message. But I don't, you don't ask me for hundreds of dollars. There is no membership. I'm not, there's no MVPs. There's no, you know, nothing. There's no graduation, which is great, because I do like to win. I don't like to study in between. I like to start, and I like to get to the finish line. So that doesn't work here. You know, the steps go 1 through 12, and you work each one, and there's a reason for it. So I continued on my way until the late 90s when I was getting sick and tired of myself. And as it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which if you don't have one, I highly recommend you buying one, um, I ran out of old ideas and actually got really, really scared. I didn't want to be one of those TV shows. Um, not to talk about outside issues, there's a lot of different shows with all awful names if you're heavy, um, a lot of competitions, a lot of shows, and I knew that that could be me. I knew I could easily fill up my couch. Um, and there's that, just that incomprehensible demoralization that every single time you start to eat again, and I would always bargain with myself that when I'd get down, okay, we'll never go back up to 150 again. That just won't happen. And I always say this because I didn't. I was always over it. I was never going to weigh 200 pounds, and I didn't. I went to bed at 198 and woke up at 203. So it was fine. I didn't do it. Um, you know, being fat is very uncomfortable from the inside out. People aren't very nice to you. You know, it's just my experience of being a fat person. We all come in here from different places. And I always say, I think people talk to me louder when I was fat, I swear. They really, really did. Or they just look at you and, you know, how sad. And it is sad, but, you know, oh well. Um, so I continued on my merry way here, you know, successfully in jobs, all of those things. And I would come in and out of the rooms, and but I never stayed. I would sit in the back. I wouldn't talk to anybody. I'd slip out. I would make sure I came in at a time that you wouldn't ask me to read or do anything because I just had no interest in getting to know any of you. You had nothing to offer me. I just kept wanting to come back and hear that magic word. There had to be that one word that I was missing. Um, so eventually, what brought me to my knees was, um, surprise, surprise, a trip home to England, time with my family. And I went home for, my sister was getting married, and it was just, it was a horrible 10 days, and I ate my way through it, and it was really, really bad, um, and I had to come home in workout pants because I couldn't fit into any clothes. I gained, I think, 15 or 20 pounds on that trip, and I was only gone for 10 days. And I'm a huge quantity eater, so I don't have to eat 
something sugary and fluffy. It, it can just be anything. It can be fruit. It can be anything. I won't stop. Stop. And I tell this story that one time on that trip, I was with my dad and we went to Costco because we were having a big brunch the morning of the wedding. And you know how big the cartons of grapes are that come. And we had a very short drive. Um, what can I get? You know, anyway, it was, it was less than a mile. And these grapes were in the back of the seat. And I was very uncomfortable. And he was talking to me about my behavior and how I had to behave this way and do this and do that. And I just kept popping them like pills. And we got home. And there was about a quarter of them left. And my dad looked at me, and we laugh about this now. And it, it's funny, but as I tell you, I mean, there's a lot of shame attached to it. There really, really is. He said, what happened? And I said, I don't really know. And he goes, you have to go back and get more. And, and we didn't discuss it. He just gave me the keys to the car, and I went and got more. Today, I don't keep grapes in my house. I will just tell you that. And for the first couple of years of my, you know, my sober eating lifestyle, I didn't eat them. There's something about them. I pop them like pills. Um, and I don't like to weigh them out. It makes me sad. I feel like a bunch, a bunch, it, a bunch is a portion. It should be a portion. And they're so tasty. Anyway, so, you know, that happened. And so I can eat huge quantities of food and gain a lot of weight in a very short period of time. Um, so I, I came back, and the person who had brought me to my first meeting, she had gotten abstinent in Florida. And I called her, and I finally got help. I was willing, or so I thought at the time, to do it. And I found this woman who would sponsor me. She wasn't here in L.A. I lied and told her that nobody was available in L.A. <laughs> because I, I didn't want anyone to get to know me. I didn't want to have to ask you. I didn't want to have to be embarrassed to be like you. Um, and there was no FaceTime, no Skyping then, so she wasn't going to ask me to do anything like that, just call her every day. And she saved my life because it was a Sunday afternoon, and we spoke on the phone for an hour, and she told me, you know, this, and do you have the book, and do you have this, da, da, da. and she was also a 100-pounder, and she told me how she sponsored. And for me, and this doesn't have to be for you, my absence is very black and white, and it's no flour and no sugar. Because that is my heroine. I cannot stop with that stuff. I don't like slices. I like loaves. I don't like small cups. I like gallons. That's what I like. Um, and my food plan has evolved over the years. So if I go to a party and there's fruit salad and there's grapes in it, we can have a decent relationship for that five minutes. I can leave them behind today. Um, so she spoke to me. She told me what I was going to do. I had to go to three meetings a week. I had to this, go early in self chairs, sit in the front, tell people hello, all those things. And then she asked me what I was going to have for dinner. And I was a little upset, obviously, because it was a Sunday night. You only start on a Monday for whatever reason. And I, I said, well, can't I start in the morning? And she said, you've sat here on the phone with me crying for half an hour if you don't commit your food to me tonight, you won't call me in the morning. And I will tell you that she saved my life because she's right, I wouldn't have done. Because I have amnesia when it comes to my addiction. You know, when you lose all the memory on your computer, that's it, that's me. And in a nanosecond, and it was never that bad, and it's not that awful, and did you hear about this new thing, and I didn't try this, and I could do that, and that's what would have happened. So, thank goodness, you know, had all the little things that she asked me about, went to the fridge, we planned out my meal, and that was my first abstinent meal that I didn't lie. Not even a little bit of cucumber more than I told her I would eat, which was a gift. That was God. That wasn't me. 
So I feel like I was taken to that place of willingness and I was willing to be taken, which hadn't happened before. And I worked with this lady for three years. I went to Florida and gave her four steps, my fifth steps away, and she actually came here. And then all of a sudden, there were sponsors available in California three years later. It was just fascinating. And suddenly, you were all prettier, and you were all nicer, and I wanted to have your phone numbers, and I quite liked you. And, you know, a day at a time, a day at a time. Um, I, you know, I just can't say enough about how these rooms have changed my life. You know, I was in a job that I liked, and I would say I had the golden handcuffs, and I was very, very scared to leave, and my sponsor of 10 years, you know, really helped me. And we would rehearse and do it, and I started looking for a job. And I can remember the first time I spoke up to this man who was pretty verbally abusive. And I just stood there, and at the time I was still wearing my hair curly, thank God, because it was getting bigger and bigger as I was talking. I was very, very nervous, and I said, I'm going to get somebody else to help you. It's inappropriate for you to speak to me that way. And I walked out of the room, and his mouth just dropped to the floor, and this is the managing partner of a huge law firm. So, of course, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get fired. I won't be able to pay my mortgage. Why did I do that? Oh, my God. And went on the way. I got him someone else to help him. The next day, he thanked me, and he never spoke to me that way again. And I worked for him for two more years, and I've been at my current job for 10 years. And, again, with grace and integrity, and I, you know, I handle myself in a way that I make sure that my recovery comes first. My recovery comes first always today, which is unbelievable. But again, this is a gift from everything that I've gotten from those books, from working the steps repeatedly, from the people who you know, I choose to align myself with. Um, so today, today, what does my life look like? Um, okay, so let me tell you what it looks like. There is... You know, there are so many life things that happen, and I really can get through them a day at a time and sometimes an hour at a time, not using food, not padding my food, not lying about it. Um, For me, I eat three meals a day and no snack. I tried a snack for a while when I started this job 10 years ago because the hours were longer. And as soon as my fork went down at lunchtime, all I thought about and not in a good way, was my snack, me and my snack, me and my snack. So for me, it doesn't work. It's okay if I go home a little hungry because I tune out. I was just zoning out over the snack. It was ridiculous. It didn't matter whether it was five carrots or half an apple. It it was as if it was Prince Charming coming along at 4.30. So, you know, I know those things about me. So I have to be very, very cognizant and be honest. And, you know, we can all laugh about it. But, you know, when that obsession starts, you don't know where it's going to take you. Well, I don't know where it's going to take me. Normally, the last place it will show up, is on my plate, so it can be, I can be rude to you, I can be a little nasty, you know, whatever it is, not pretty. Um, So, for me, I eat three meals a day, nothing in between. I sponsor people. I'm sharing the birthday party this year. You better all be signed up. Um, It's going to be so fabulous. Um, I'll pitch that to you later. Um, And I have a sponsor. I've never been without a sponsor in these rooms, and I follow direction. I don't always like it. I always think, they don't know me. They've known me for five minutes. Why would you tell me that? But you know what? Same way that I tell my sponsors things. I don't have to know you. You can have different color eyes to me, different color hair. But if you have the same obsession of the mind that I have when it comes to food, we're going to speak the same language. Um, 
So that's what I do. I speak to my sponsors. I work the steps with them. Um, I take calls. I return my calls. You know, these are things which for other people, I'm very A-type personality, okay? I'm going to just tell you that. So I am very boom, 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 and those things are okay for me to do. And it's okay if it doesn't work that way for you. It really, really is. Everybody has their own path, and that is the great thing about Overeaters Anonymous. You don't have to eat the way I do. You don't have to wear and measure your food. Whatever you have to do to just stay in the rooms and to, you know, own your seat is okay. Um, so that's what I do. What else do I do? I'm trying to think what else I do. I'm running out of things to say very, very quickly, which is very unlike me. Um, I, my relationships with my family have definitely, definitely changed. And they haven't changed. I've changed. And that's mainly my expectations of them. Um, I, you know, we handle situations which used to baffle us, and I don't regret the past. I've made amends to the people who I've needed to, and, you know, I have a sister who's nine years younger than me. She's also in these rooms, and today I called her, and she's in the middle of moving, and I just moved recently too, but she handles life very different to me. How's the mood? And she's snapping and snapping at me. And I went, okay, I'm really glad it's going well. I'll talk to you soon. And I hung up. I will tell you for that nanosecond, I wanted to rip her. But what's the point? How important is it for me to be right with her? It isn't. She handles stress differently to me. We have a different personality. So I'm able to let those things go. And then when I looked at my phone later on today, she sent me an apology for being snappy with me. If I would have snapped back, it would have turned into, you know, a national war, and it would, it would be going on for days and days and days, but there is no point. And, you know, I like to win. I'm the oldest of seven children. I am very bossy. Um, you know, I, I know clearly who I am, very clearly. Um, so, you know, I do those things today because I don't want to eat. Again, I don't want it to show up on my plate. That's why I do the things that I do. And, you know, the food is normally the last thing to go. Um, so I do all of those things. I pray and I meditate. I talk to God a lot. Um, I read a lot of different literature, some of which isn't on the table, but it's also good stuff, or, you know, OA or AA literature. Um, I go to my three meetings. I don't really know what else to tell you. Um, you know, my life is good. My, the food doesn't talk to me today, which is kind of unbelievable. Um... I may, you know, I'm able to host parties, do things like that, which I love, and the food doesn't talk to me. And that isn't me. Again, that's my higher power doing for me what I could never do for myself. And I have a very healthy fear of weighing 300 pounds because 250 wouldn't even be the starting point. Again, I would blink. And I just don't think I have the energy mentally or physically to do it one more time. You know, it took me till I was 40 to get absent. I'm 55 now. I, I don't want to end up back there again. I just don't. It's just too demoralizing, and I just can't imagine. My whole life would change. You know, my nephew's going to be 17. He's never known me any other way. That's kind of astounding. I mean, it really is. He just knows that mommy and auntie don't eat sugar. And it's just, you know, it's very very sweet but no he just knows us no other way and I always think about that that's so baffling because most people in my life all the people that I work with now don't obviously um so if you are new or you're struggling I hope that you keep coming back whether it's regularly or not you know the rooms are always open 
take phone numbers, call the person you don't want to call the most. They'll probably be the one that will call you back. Um, thank you again for asking me to share. And I'm going to have things to say. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now you get to ask me awful questions. <laughs> Martha. Can you um, share a little bit about your experience working um, six and seven, and like what defects you feel like have been removed, and what you still struggle with? Yes, Martha's asking me to sorry, Martha's asking me to talk about steps six and seven and how I have worked those. So if you are new, step six is up there on the wall. We're entirely ready to have to have God remove all these defects of character and most of them show up when you do your inventory and if you have a kind and loving sponsor they often point it out to you mm-hmm. if you aren't already aware and then humbly humbly I might say ask him to remove our shortcomings um, you know of course I'd like to tell you I have none but I do and I could probably give you a, a list of ten right now and today when they come up it's uncomfortable. It really, really is. Like this morning, I wanted to beat my sister up. I really, really did. And I wanted to, you know, I knew that I could verbally assassinate her. And I know I'm pretty good at that. So that, that you know, that in itself is a defect of character. But the good news is I'd had longer meditation this morning, all of those things. And I was able to turn to God and go, okay, okay, what do you have to, you know, gain here? So I just keep going through them all the time, all the time. And I just did... Um, the intergroup in Calgary, which was very kind, flew me up there to do a weekend workshop, and there was a great sheet in there on those defects of character, and I've been looking at them a lot, and there's a lot of them, and they have gotten better. Are they perfect? No, but luckily it tells me in here that I can make progress with them, and it doesn't tell me how quickly I have to do it. So I do get itchy, as I would say, when I act in a certain way now. I get very, very uncomfortable. I really do, and I'm okay apologizing really quickly because it just ugh, makes me feel yuck it's the only way I could say yes hi thanks for your sharing can you discuss with us a little bit about your spiritual life and the concept and uh, sort of how you came to uh, you know as we talk about in the 12 steps God or your conception of God okay so the question is to talk about my spiritual life and how I got to my conception of God um, for me, I didn't not believe, so that was okay. I wasn't quite sure how God was going to help me stop eating because if I did believe and it had been with me for many years, I wasn't quite sure why he hadn't tuned into me. Um, I, you know, before I came here, I did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, a lot of breathing. I took a Kabbalah class. Those things are all great. Don't get me wrong. However, as a food addict, again, they, they don't help me stop eating. Um, I think it's just the miracles and the things that keep happening to me. How can I not believe? You know, even just staying in a regular sized body is unbelievable. So there has to be God inside of that. And every day before I get out of bed, I say the set aside prayer and I ask God to help me set aside everything I think I know about whether it be what the day at work's going to be like, whether how you're going to treat me or what X, Y, and Z will be for the next three days for a new experience with the 12 steps and with God that day. And that has to be before I get out of bed. Because if it isn't, the minute my feet can hit the floor, I can, you just never, ever know. You just, I, I never know where my head can go. 
So I do that. I meditate. You know, during the week, it's probably around five minutes. This morning, I woke up really early and it was longer. And I have a couple of different apps and some of those are nice. And some of them, when it's longer, I like to hear somebody else's voice. Otherwise, I get a little bored of myself. And I try and stay out of my head as much as I can, which isn't very easy. But, you know, and there are some days that it's easier. And again, the God part for me wasn't a huge struggle. And the more I see, and also I see it in everybody else. The people will come in here and I think, oh, they'll never stay. Oh, my gosh. And then three months later, you know, like a butterfly, somebody emerges. So I think it's the power in the group as well. So I hope that helps. Giselle? Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Uh, can you talk a little bit, I know, um, can you talk a little bit about traveling and, like, eating Sure. The question is about travel, um, different time zones, how I eat. So yes, I have definitely always traveled in these rooms. My friend and I over there, we went to Croatia last year, and obviously I've gone to London a lot in the last 17, 18 years. You know, normally when you're flying to Europe, it's at night time. So I've either had dinner before I go on the plane, if it's an eight or nine o'clock flight, normally I've eaten before or will eat at the airport. So when I get in in the morning, say I'm getting into London, depending on the time of the plane, around noonish or one o'clock. So in the morning, you know, when they wake you up, they give you a cup of tea, and often I'll take that always. Normally what they'll have to eat isn't great, and it's hard to keep something for breakfast. So when I land, my family will normally bring me something with that I'll eat in the car, that's the truth. <laughs> trolley or yoga or something and that day I may only eat two meals because if I get in at 12 or 2 and then I'm quite tired I try and stay up till around 9 so I might eat dinner earlier than usual we tend to eat dinner later so that day might only be you know two meals but then I just try and stay on track right away I try and stick to the timing of what it is when I went to Calgary it was only an hour's difference it didn't make any difference I just try and get on the time zone as soon as possible and even if at first I'm not as hungry um, I just eat anyway, even if it's a bit less, just to start to turn my head and my mind over. So that's how it seems to work. And I find that wherever you go, you can find what you need. I will tell you, in England, they hate to make food changes. They look at you like, go away, we're not giving you anything else. So I leave a lot out if we go out. But when I'm at home, you know, I get what I need. But otherwise, there's a lot in restaurants over there that you have to leave out because they just tune you out. They, they'll know that you're from America, regardless, <laughs> and they're not giving it to you. But then when you go to a Mediterranean country, everything's perfect for me. I mean, it's lovely fresh protein and vegetables and all that good stuff, so it worked for me. So, and, you know, and I always stay in touch. That's another thing. You know, when I first traveled, there was no WhatsApp, anything like that, so that's also an important part. I still do my writing, send in my stuff, listen to podcasts, find great old speakers on, you know, YouTube and stuff like that and just stay connected in that way so that I get to enjoy the trip, I get to enjoy the people and enjoy the food, but that isn't my primary purpose. So, thank you. Yes, hello. Hi, thank you for sharing. Um, do you mind speaking a little bit about sponsorship and specifically, do you take on sponsors who may not have the exact same food history um, or maybe bulimia or other things that Great question. Hi. So the question was, how do I sponsor and do I take on people who have different aspects of the disease than myself? 
So that's a really great, great question because I sponsor entirely differently to how I sponsored 17 years ago. I couldn't keep a sponsor for five seconds. Um, and that's mainly because I thought, you know, I was on that pink cloud and I thought, well, why wouldn't you want to do exactly what I'm doing? Are you mad? Look at me. <laughs> so there's a defect of character for you. <laughs> um, and no, and I only did sponsor 100 pounders because I didn't really understand yet that the head was all the same because I was working with a sponsor at the time who was a 100 pounder. And then when I switched to my sponsor who I had for 10 years, she wasn't. And I, and I got to see how she sponsored everybody the same because the bottom line is the 12 steps all read the same we may hear something different or feel something differently, but it's all the same steps, it's the same book. Um, and I, you know, heard things from people who are bulimics, if you eat it, you own it, anorexic was a different, you start to hear it and you start to understand. And now again, I just see that there's no barriers. It isn't I'm in one group and you're in another. Because, you know, when you have that pit in your stomach and you can't stop doing whatever it is you're doing, it's no different than when, you know, I get to the bottom of the barrel and I need another one. It's just the same thing. Um, I think I'm a lot nicer now sponsoring than I was many years ago. And that changes all the time. And I, I have to appreciate that everybody has their own journey. Everybody does, and these rooms are available to everybody. So if I say to you, dun, 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 you're not going to feel very welcome or want to come back. So I definitely listen a lot more than I ever did before. I say aha a lot and okay. And what can you do today? What are you willing to do today? Which wasn't something that was given to me in the beginning, but that's okay because I need hardcore. Uh, I am that person down the alley looking for their heroin. That is me in their, my food. I will go to any lengths and not that anybody else in here won't, but I really needed to be sponsored like that in the beginning because I was very resistant, I knew everything, and just wasn't going to work for me. So, but today, you know, some of the people who I work with, the ones I thought wouldn't last five minutes, they're the ones who have all these sponsors and are doing it. So I know nothing. And that's why I have to remember when I work with each person, and the book tells me we realize we know only a little. And that's something, you know, I have to keep that humility each and every day. So I, th I think it's better than it was. <laughs> Yes, hello. Thank you so much. Um, I'm just wondering, like, with a you know, busy career, how do you manage that and set those boundaries if you keep putting your program first? Okay, so she asked me, with a busy career, how can I um, set my boundaries and push it first? I'm very fortunate. There's a lot of sober people in my company. My boss's son was in rehab when I started working for him. My boss's wife is sober, and they all know about my program. So... That's unusual. I have a very good friend who works in the office, so I have fellowship all day long if I want it. But obviously I have to do work, so I can't. Um, it works out for me because of that. Now, when I first got abstinent at the other job, it was very, it was very, very difficult um, because I didn't quite know how to talk without being a real schmo to you. Um, I just didn't quite have my words. And then, you know, I've learned, say what you mean, mean what you say, and mean... You know, don't be mean when you say it. Um, so, you know, today it works, and back then it was a little bit hard, but I only worked, I worked earlier hours, so I was able to get to nighttime meetings, but now on a Thursday I have a women's meeting at 7.15 in Studio City. The building could be burning down, I leave at 6 o'clock. I leave at 6 o'clock and I'm not late for that meeting. 
I have a commitment there, or my sponsees go, I love that meeting, and I get there, and he knows I go to that meeting, and I leave at 6 o'clock. So I, it has to come first, because I, I won't, it's not that I won't be able to keep my job, but I won't do it with grace, and just wouldn't be the same, and people wouldn't like me, and I wouldn't like them. So I'm able to do it, you know, when it comes to the food, I, I prep a lot of my food on the weekend because I take sponsor calls in the morning. I leave the house around 7.30. I take my breakfast to work, my lunch to work, and a couple of days a week my dinner because I have nighttime meetings. Um, so that's, that's what I do. That's what works for me. Yes. Sure. How is exercise incorporating how has it evolved? It has gone down massively from when I started because if you want to use the word bulimic, I was definitely an exercise bulimic because there I was, you know, rather plump, but I, I still had to, you know, get in there and do the spin class of this, of that. I used to do double spin classes on Thanksgiving and every holiday and all these things. Um, had the trainers, everything, and today I don't do that. I do exercise, but not as much. My hours are different. Um, I do Pilates twice a week. I maybe spin once a week. This weekend I don't have time to. I was busy all day today. Tomorrow my brother's here from England. I'm spending time with him. I go to an, and it's okay. Today my head's okay with it because the truth is exercise is healthy for me, that, but that isn't what keeps me looking this way. It's, you know, it releases stuff that makes me feel good if I am, for some reason, a little bit of a pissy mood. But guess what? I'm still going to have to go back to here if I'm not in a great mood. I'm still going to have to make phone calls because that's the truth of it. My spiritual malady, if it's creeping in, there is no exercise in the world because the person on the bike there and the person there and the teacher isn't speaking clearly and the music is too loud. Everything from the light bulb flickering will annoy me if I'm not spiritually fit. So, would I like to be able to go at least four days a week? Yes, but of late it hasn't worked out. And when I moved, I didn't work out for three weeks. It was okay. It was okay. I didn't have the time to think about it, and, which is a miracle because I was very, very obsessed with that. Even in my size 26 dress, I was going and doing at Richard Simmons Gyms, which a lot of you won't know about, but I was there in my hot pink latex. Trust me, that thing I had. I can't believe I wore it. So it's gotten a lot better for me, and I'm really, really glad it has. Did you have your hand up? Um, you mentioned that the food no longer calls to you. How long did it take for that to happen? It's a day at a time. How, how long, sorry, how long did the food stop calling me? Um, well, let's be honest. I told you I still don't have grapes in my house because for some reason those little things talk. Um, I don't know, a day at a time. You know, it says at the beginning of the big book, we are 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind or body. So I've gone on to read and read, and somewhere along the way, it hasn't bothered me. I, I don't know. For this 24 hours, it hasn't. could wake up tomorrow and be different. Um, I I don't know, you know, for me, I'm a planner, so I know what I'm going to do. That doesn't mean, you know, life can take those turns. But as, as long as I turn to God and to my fellows before I turn to the food, hopefully a day at a time I'll be okay. It definitely takes time. And, you know, I was very much all about the food for at least five years and very much about my body and all of those things. Um, it, it's gotten a lot better. So, you know, just a day at a time, I guess. I am, that's the whole thing. I don't know how it works, and I'm glad I don't. So again, 
keep working the steps and somehow the miracle happens. Yes, Deanna. Thanks for uh, your share. Did you ever in the stretch of abstinence have periods where you did overeat or made food choices that you didn't feel good about or any circumstances that that you did find triggering social events, restaurants, and if so, how did you uh, get through that in recovery? Right. So the question was, do I have I in recovery ever overeaten, made bad choices, and have I gotten over that? Definitely whenever I'm around my family, I eat 50 times faster. Um, and I am a fast eater, and I've gotten a lot better with that. I chew a lot more than I used to. Um, I, <laughs> I definitely have problems at certain events if something is, you know, past and it isn't a meal, you know, those kinds of things, or you don't always know what ingredients are in something. You think, mm, something was weird and that. I don't feel great. Again, it, it's mainly with my family, so now I'll make a lot of phone calls, um, and it's when we're all together. It isn't even all individually. Um, and again, I think it gets better. I don't feel like I'm missing out. When I was first in absence and I used to go out, I think, okay, she told me to cut this in half. Where is the half? You know, where is that halfway mark? And I couldn't take leftovers home because I didn't trust myself. So I used to pour hot sauce and salt all over them because I knew I wouldn't go back to it. Um, people used to look at me horrified. It's not a good thing to do when you're on a date if they're buying a dinner. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> um, but, but today, I can even share a meal with you. If we go somewhere that's a big portion, I'm, I would never have done that before. So, again, it just evolves over time. And if I do, you know, if I'm a nice steakhouse and eat one bite over my four ounces because it's yummy, oh, well. You know, it's, as long as I don't get to the point I have to undo my trousers or anything, which I haven't done, it's all right. You know, I can't, well, I shouldn't say I can't. As of today, I can't stuff my face the way I used to. Um, because this really triggers in really, really quickly, and I feel those jiggy feelings. And when I know I'm starting to float up here instead of towards my heart, I know I've got a problem. So, and I always check out menus before I go anywhere, too, still. And that normally I don't read them, and this is a great special of something that I want. So I normally have a plan when I go in anywhere. Again, I'm very anal. Am I done? Mm-hmm. No. no, I have a question. Oh, you do? Yes. Please, give it to me. You said you were um, the chair of the birthday party. Could you talk about the birthday party and why it's important? <laughs> <laughs> she asked me about being chair of the birthday party and why it's important. So, the OA birthday party is the largest fundraiser that the LA Intergroup has. People come from all over the country, and I will tell you that 47% of the people signed up are from out of town, which is kind of amazing. And when I went up to Calgary, I will just tell you that they listen to these podcasts all the time. They know your names. They know who you are. They asked me if I knew who people were. And that, I mean, that's really, really amazing. So the birthday party, I don't really even know how I ended up being the chair, um, but I am, and it's just important, and it gets you to see your fellows and to hear people and to do workshops and just it's just important to have that fellowship and really really puts you in the center and if we don't have that we don't have these rooms and if I don't have these rooms there's no chance I'm going to stay the way I am from the inside out so I do encourage you if you've never been it is going to be kind of fabulous and I will tell you we're nearly sold out we've got 10 more dinners left and I think only seven or eight lunches as of today so 
That is the truth. I'm not fibbing to you. So sign up. Two minutes or not. Oh, yes, go ahead. The question is, how do I work the steps with someone who's having a hard time getting abstinent? Just keep working them. Just keep working them and hope that they have the willingness, you know, to keep on doing the writing, to keep on doing the writing, you know, stay in the doctor's opinion, write the food history, write down your abstinence and just keep bringing them back to God and even have reading the stories in the big book full of all the miracles. Just keep pointing out the miracle and never give up on anybody because no one ever gave up on me. So I think I'm done. Thank you so much.